I am not Mac Richard. If you were wondering what on earth happened to Mac, he's a different person, okay? I'm not what happened to Mac. Mac's a tall, good-looking guy, uh, and, and, and uh, I won't go into which part of those that I'm not, but, uh, but I'm not. I'm actually Terry Cadwell, pastor of Life Groups, and I'm always so glad when Mac allows me to come and, uh, and, and, and stand up here and, and talk to you about the great things that go with the, the great things about our God. And it's such a pleasure for me to be up here uh, and uh, for Mac. So I'm also glad that Mac takes an extended time every year, usually the month of July. He's gone and, uh, and he takes an extended time, several weeks. And every time he goes, I said, Mac, please don't think about us while you're gone. Uh, you need some time when you're not thinking Lake Hills Church. But you know what? Every time when he comes back, I ask him. And he always says, I tried. And, uh, and so I'm old enough, I can reprove him. I say, Mac, you need to stop this. You need some time when you're not thinking about us. One of these days he's going to do it. So I hope when he gets back this time, I'll tell him, Mac, did you have any time when you weren't thinking about us? And if he says, yes, then I'm going to say, yes, you finally got it right. You finally figured out how to do a vacation. Because I hope, I hope that he's having one of those right now. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord God, Father, I come before you now in the holy, awesome, incredible name of Jesus. And God, I just cannot thank you enough for the privilege that you have given me to declare your greatness to these people right here in this room. God, it amazes me. It constantly amazes me that you would use an old, God, an old guy like me to talk about your greatness to the next generation and the next generation. And, and Lord, that's such an incredible privilege. And Father, I just ask you now that by your Holy Spirit, there will be nothing in me that gets in the way. God, that you would open up our eyes to see incredible truth from, from your word about you and about what you have done and are going to do in us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. It was 10 o'clock on the evening of July the 4th. When was that? About 10 days ago, 11 days ago? What's, what's today? Today is the 15th, so that's, well, no, I guess that's 11 days ago. Uh, July the 4th, 10 o'clock at night, Patsy and I were in bed, and we were reading to the pops and the booms of all of the fireworks going on. And suddenly Patsy said, I feel old. And being the caring, supporting husband that I am? I said, well, you are. <laughs> and uh, when she didn't say anything back, that sort of scared me a little bit. And, and I said, where's this coming from? And she said, only a really old person wouldn't be outside watching the fireworks. And so I thought, hmm, she has a point. Now, Patsy and I, we are both 71 years old. And next Sunday, we've been married a long time. Next Sunday, we will have been married for 51 years. Now, thank you very much. Actually, she deserves the one that deserves the applause. Because that means she's been married to me for 51 years. Well, when she turned 70, <clears throat> last year, when she turned 70, I said, <clears throat> uh, you need to know that I've been thinking about trading you in for 235s. 
And uh, without even missing a beat, she said, you can't even keep up with me. What makes you think you can handle 235s? <laughs> now, obviously, I was joking. But what if I wasn't? What if I did that? Now, I know, y'all, I know GQ is not looking for short, bald, 71-year-old men to put on the cover of their magazine. And I've heard Patsy refer to me as that short, bald, handsome man. And, and you know, and, and I know she's joking. What always surprises me is that most people don't even catch the joke. I, I mean, the truth is that short, bald, 70-year-old guys are not really a magnet for 35s. But for the sake of discussion, let's put it out there. What if in a moment of weakness and stupidity, I turned away from God in order to, and, and, and all of the good things that God has given me. What if in a moment of weakness and stupidity, I turned away from God and all of the good things that he's given me, and I followed, chased after some self-indulgent self fantasy. You know, one of the big surprises to me that I encountered when I became a Christian was that the same temptations that I had before I became a Christian were still with me as a Christian. Now, I've heard stories from people who have said that God completely took away all of their temptations. And I don't doubt that that's true. I mean, but that hasn't been my experience. And not only that, the New Testament teaches that learning to overcome temptation is a normal part of the Christian life. Take your Bibles and turn to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. If, you have a, if you're looking at an iPhone or an iPad, Galatians 5, find Galatians 5. If you have a real Bible, Okay, uh, flip over to Galatians 5. By the way, that's a joke too, y'all. Okay, if you, if you find Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to look at verse 17. Galatians chapter 5, verse 17. And by the way, I was supposed to have already told you to, to, to turn to Galatians 5, and I totally forgot. So I'm going to give you a couple of seconds to find Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to look at verse 17. Galatians chapter 5, verse 17. And Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 17. By the way, in case you want to know Paul, we're going to be looking a lot at Paul's letters today. Paul, Paul wrote most of the New Testament. Uh, Paul was probably the last person that Jesus brought in to his team of apostles. He didn't do it until after his resurrection. He pulled Paul into the group. Galatians chapter 5, verse 17. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other so that you are not free to carry out your good intentions. In other words, part of the Christian experience is learning to overcome temptation. Now let's back up four verses to verse 13. 
13. We're going to read the first part of verse 13. We're going to pick up a little more of it a little bit later. Verse, Galatians 5, verse 13 says, For you have been called to live in freedom. Now, this is week number three of a series called Free for All. And the first two weeks started with, uh, with Pastor Jeffrey and then, and then Bill Jones last week. And the first two weeks were, were focused on the new freedom that is ours when we place faith in Jesus Christ. And they talked about how as Christ followers, we are free from trying to gain God's approval by living according to the rules, to the law. And by the way, if you missed the first week, Pastor Jeffrey, or last week with, with Bill Jones, you really should go on LHC.org and 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 listen and, and watch those two messages that start this series about, about freedom for all. So that was Galatians 5.13, the first part, says you've been called to live in freedom. You're free from the rules, so to speak. But now look at the rest or the next part of Galatians 5.13 where it says, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Now, we just got through reading in verse 17, four verses later, where Paul says there's these things that war in us. There's our sinful nature that, that we were born with. And, and, but there's, now there's a new nature that is put into us as, as Christ followers that we have. And there's this war going on. And, and, and he says, but your acceptance before God is not on the basis of how good you are at keeping the rules. But don't use that freedom as an excuse for satisfying your sinful nature. Well, why not? He tells us in another one of his letters, in Romans chapter 6, verse 16, Paul says, don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteousness. So the reason I can't use my freedom as a Christian as an excuse for satisfying some self-indulgent temptation is because if that's how I use my freedom, I'm not going to be free anymore. I'm going to become a slave of the very sin which I chose to obey. Now let's think back to a thousand years before Jesus. That's 3,000 years ago. And we're going into the Old Testament, and I want to... In, in, and I want to talk about one of my favorite characters in the whole Bible, who actually is in the Old Testament. He was a guy named David. And the reason David is one of my favorite characters in the Bible is because he is so flawed. He, he's uh, like me. And there's so many things about David that I can identify with because he was flawed. Now, when David was a teenager, he was described as a man who chased after God's heart. Now, what does that mean, to chase after God's heart? In Psalm, David wrote most of the Psalms, by the way, in your Bible. In Psalm 63, we, the Psalm, David describes part of what it was talking about, his pursuit of God. In Psalm 63, beginning in verse 1, he's crying out to God, and he says, Oh, God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. 
I lie awake thinking of you, meditating on you through the night. So David, David thought about God all day long in his pursuit of God. And then on the nights when he couldn't sleep, he thought about God some more. In fact, God was so important to David that, that one time when he heard a giant named Goliath cursing God, he killed the giant because he heard him cursing his God. Now let's go on to Psalm 141, verse 4. And here's David crying out to God again in Psalm 141. He says, God, don't let me drift toward evil. But David did more than drift. When David was in his late 40s, David committed adultery with the wife of one of his most loyal friends, a guy named Uriah. His wife was named Bathsheba. I think Hollywood even made a movie about this. But Bathsheba became pregnant. Now that would have been okay except Uriah, her husband, was a soldier who had been on deployment for months. And so it was obvious that Uriah was not going to be the father of this baby. And so in order to hide his own guilt, David had his friend killed, murdered. You know, I read that story about David in 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, the whole story. And I think, wow, how could that happen? I certainly would not want something like that to happen to me. I mean, joking about trading Patsy in for 235s, that's one thing. But if I really begin to fantasize about that and entertain that in my mind and think, well, maybe what if? Then it's no longer a joke, is it? So how did David go from being a man who chased after God's heart to 30 years later committing adultery with the wife of one of his best friends and then having his friend murdered? How did he get there? Now, when we look at David's life through the Psalms, we see a side of David that we don't really get in First and Second Samuel, where this whole account is played out. When we look at David through the Psalms, we can see that David made at least two mistakes that ultimately led to his spiritual disaster. Mistake number one, David thought he was basically a good guy. In Psalm chapter 18, written by David, David says, For I have kept the ways of the Lord. The Lord rewarded me for doing right. He has seen my innocence. We look at that and we think, how could anyone be so self-righteous? Well, it's easy. Just find someone else whose sin we've convinced ourselves is not as respectable as our sin. Now, I've said on several occasions that 
as I've read through the Bible, I've discovered there aren't but two kinds of sins in the Bible. There's your sin and there's my sin. That's it. And I, and I tell you, your sin is much worse than mine. Those are the only two kinds. Well, David, he must have come to this conclusion that he was, he, that he was innocent. That because he, he, he must have been comparing himself to others, maybe other kings in the, in the area, in order to convince himself that their sins were worse than his. Therefore, he's a good guy, that he's a good guy, and God's rewarded him for being such a good guy. I mean, David is, is doing something similar to the Pharisees who shoved the woman who had caught, been caught in adultery at the feet of Jesus. And they said, okay, can we stone her? Can we stone her? Or maybe like Paul, the Apostle Paul, who wrote half the New Testament before he met Jesus. Do you know that Paul saw himself as blameless? In Philippians chapter 3, Paul talks about his life before Jesus. Philippians chapter 3 verse 6, he says, As to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. So Paul was kind of like David. He thought, God's rewarding me because I'm such a good guy. Well, that led to David's second mistake. And that was when David realized he wasn't as good as he thought he was. He would not admit that his sin was sin. In Psalm chapter 32, verse 3, David said, When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. David would not acknowledge that his sin was really sin, even when he was carrying around such a load of guilt that it had physical consequences on his body. He still wouldn't say, God, I'm a sinner. This is wrong. In James chapter 1, there's a statement in James chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, that talks about temptation in general whether it applies to us or whether it applies to David. James chapter 1, beginning in verse 14. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. When sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. You see, folks, we, and I'm going to include David in that we, we battle temptations on three battlefields. On the battlefield of our mind, on the battlefield of our actions, and on the battlefield of our habits. If we lose the battle with temptation in our mind, then the battlefield becomes the battlefield of our actions. If we lose the battle with temptation on the battlefield of our actions, then the battle moves to the battlefield of our habits. You see, folks, James 1, according to James 1, David didn't wake up one morning and think, oh, I think I'm going to commit adultery today. And then, you know what, if I feel like it, I think I'll commit murder. That's not what happened. David's battle with temptation started in his mind. It started with the desire for something more, for something 
that he thought he needed, but he didn't have. And then rather than admit that what he desired was sin, he may have thought, well, I'm, I'm the king. I'm entitled to whatever I want. I'm entitled to more. And then the longer he thought about it, the more he wanted it. And then, and, and then the more he wanted it, the more he would have felt, I'm entitled to have it. Until one day, David saw Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. Their apartment was down on a lower level than David's. And David could see through the window of their little apartment into of the place where, on this particular day, Bathsheba happened to be taking a bath. And when David saw her, he said, Wow, that's just what I need. And then like Eve in the garden, when she stared at that fruit... And the more she stared at it, the more she wanted it, and the more she felt entitled to have it. In the same way, David took what God said he wasn't supposed to have. And then once he started down that path, following his own self-indulgent desires, he kept on going until he was so enslaved to sin He committed murder. So now what? David, the man who once chased after God's heart, has become David, the man enslaved to sin. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, No temptation has overtaken you, But such as is common to man, and God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. So what is that way of escape that will enable us to endure or to overcome temptation? Now, 1st and 2nd Samuel and the Psalms make it clear that although David's sin had major consequences for his family and actually for the whole nation of Israel, David's relationship with God was restored. And not only was it restored, he never went down that road again. So let's look back at Galatians chapter 5, 13. We started out there at the very beginning. Chapter 5, 13. You have been called to live in freedom. But we've been called to live in freedom, but temptation is constantly knocking on our door, wanting to come in. So even though we've been called to, temp- to, to live in freedom, how do we stay free? What can we learn as Christ followers from David that might help us stay Free. First, admit that our sin is sin to ourself and to God. Let's go back to Psalm 32 again. I want to pick up 
I want to read where we read just a second ago, but then I want to keep going. Psalm 32, where David, verse 3, where David says, When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away, my strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. But this time we're not going to stop. We're going to go on to verse 5. Psalm 32, 5, the very next verse. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. But let's not even stop there. Let's keep going. We're going to skip one verse and go to verse 7, two verses down, Psalm 32, 7. Now, David says, for you are my hiding place. You surround me with songs of victory. Folks, we've gone from slavery to forgiveness to victory, and it all began with admitting sin is really sin. You see, staying free requires that whenever sin shows up, whether it's in our mind or in our actions or in our habits, wherever it shows up, we need to admit to God and admit to ourselves that it really is sin. This is sin. And you know what? In that admission that our sin is sin, we are actually undermining sin's power to control us. And that will begin, that will begin the recovery process. That puts us on the road to recovery. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 and verse 9. 1 John 1, 8 and 9. It says, if we claim we have no sin, or if we claim that our sin is not really sin, if we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and we're not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to Him, to God, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. See, pretending that our sin is, even the sin we're just thinking about, pretending, pretending that it's not really sin, he says, we're just deceiving ourselves. We're certainly not deceiving God, but we're deceiving ourselves. And that deception is preventing the power of God's Holy Spirit from entering into this fight to overcome temptation. When I was a youth guy, a long time ago, I, I was a youth guy in a church in, uh, in South Austin. And one of my kids was a senior in high school at the time. His name was Chris. He was a Christian, but he was running away from God, had been running away from God for, for some time. And, uh, but he kept coming to church. We were in, uh, having a, a high school Bible study, and there were 40 or 50 kids in, in this high school Bible study. And, and Chris was there. He, he brought his Bible because he wanted... He was kind of playing the church thing. He, he didn't want his parents to know that he was running away from God. And, uh, I mean, all the kids knew he was running away from God. And, and, and I could tell because he would roll his eyes every now and then when I said something that I thought was, was important. And Chris would just roll his eyes. You know, that's always a bad sign. And, and Chris, Chris would roll his eyes like, oh, yeah, oh, sure, I know, I know. Anyhow, so Chris was there in this Bible study. And so Chris opens. I said, everybody, kids, open your Bibles to Romans chapter 7. And so Chris did what everybody else did, and he opened his Bible to Romans chapter 7, and wherever we started reading, Chris was kind of staring at the page, but it looked like his mind was somewhere else 
until we got to Romans chapter 7, verse 18. Romans 7, verse 18. Because when we got here, for Chris, everything stopped. Paul says in Romans 7, I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. And when before I had even put the period after doing, Chris shouted out to everybody in the room, That's me! Why have I never seen this before? You see, Chris had, had, had felt so defeated because of his ongoing struggle with temptation and sin that he had come to the conclusion that he might not even be a Christian. You know, I watched the day that Chris saw that his sin and his struggle with sin didn't make him any less of a Christian than it did the Apostle Paul. And when Chris saw that, over the next year, I saw Chris's whole life turn around. You see, the first, state, the, the, the first step in, in staying free is being honest with God about, and ourselves about our sin. Second, Ask God for a willing spirit to obey Him. Now, Psalm 51 is another one of those psalms that David wrote after the prophet Nathan came to David and confronted him with his sin. So I want to look at Psalm 51. I'm going to start in verse 1. Psalm 51, verse 1 where David is crying out to God, and he says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out all my transgressions. And then for the next several verses, he mentions almost some of the same, the same things that he talked about in Psalm 32 when he started confessing his sin to God. But then in verse 12, he took another step. And in verse 12, he says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Now, I want you to catch what David just did. He not only acknowledged to God that his sin was really sin, he went on to admit that there was something in him that didn't want to live the way God wanted him to live. And so then he asked God to give him a willing spirit to make him willing to live the way God wanted him to live, even though there was something in him that didn't want to live that way. You know, folks, if I'm really being truthful with God, there are times when I have to say, God, I really don't want to do the right thing. But I know, God, that I'm supposed to. And so, God, give me a willing spirit to do it your way and do the right thing. Next, if we're going to stay free, choose faith 
over feelings. Now, feelings may be what got us into trouble in the first place. Choosing faith over feelings as a Christ follower means that I put my mind's eye on Jesus, and at the same time, I just take the first step in the right direction. Putting faith over feelings as a Christ follower Put my mind's eye on Jesus and I just take the first step believing that as long as my mind is on my eyes are on Jesus, that God's going to give me the desire and the power to take the next step and the next step and the next step. You see, there is no time in a Christian's life when on their own they have the power to live the Christian life. Look at Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Here's, here's Paul, the same guy who back in Romans says, I, I want to do it right, but I can't do it right. I keep doing it wrong. There's something in me that wants to do it wrong, and I find myself doing it wrong. And so in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, he says, this is the way I've learned to live. He says, I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God, by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. There's no time in the Christian life when a Christian on their own, whether he's Paul or whether he's you or I, there is no time in a Christian's life when we have the ability to live the Christian life. It's by grace, through faith in Jesus. That's the way it started. That's the way we keep going every step of the way. By God's grace, the desire and the power through our faith in Jesus. Paul says that's the way to live free. By grace through faith. I've been a Christian for more than 50 years. And I agree with Paul and David. It doesn't matter how much I want to do the right thing. There is something in me that wants, as the book of Hebrews says, to participate in the passing pleasures of sin. And if I let it, that sin will take control and make me its slave. But God in his word has given us a way to overcome temptation, to overcome sin and stay free. And it's not a once and done prayer. It's not a once and done solution. We began the Christian life by asking Jesus Christ to come in and be our Lord. That's a once and done. Nothing will ever change that. The Bible says that when you do that, God holds on to you and nothing can get you out of his hand. The Bible says that when we do that, there's nothing in heaven or hell that can separate us from the love that, that is ours through Jesus Christ his son. That is once and done. Nothing can change that. But living free is a way of living. It's a way. It's a process. We live free by being honest every day about our temptations and our sin. Being honest with ourselves and with God. We live free by asking God to give us a willing spirit to obey Him. Even when, when, when we don't want to. We live free by choosing to put our eyes on Jesus. And then by faith taking that first step in the right direction. Knowing or believing that as long as our eyes are on Jesus... God's going to keep giving us the grace, the desire, and the power 
to keep doing the next right thing. Now, for this whole time, I've been talking to people who are Christ followers. But you may be here, you may not be a Christ follower. And so, what Dave, the guilt, maybe you're walking around thinking that you, you can make yourself acceptable to God by obeying the rules. Maybe you figured out, no, that's not going to work. Still sin, and so you're carrying around a load of guilt. You can become a Christ follower today by asking Jesus Christ to come into your life and be your Lord. You can do that today. In just a moment, we're going to pray. And when we pray, if you will just ask Jesus, Lord Jesus, come into my life and be my boss. Be my Lord. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that right now. Let's everybody bow your heads. If you are not a Christ follower, and you came here today to see what this is all about. Lake Hills Church. I've heard of Lake Hills Church. I have a friend that goes to Lake Hills Church. And now you're here. And you've been listening this whole time. And I've been talking to people that are Christ followers. And, and, and but what does that have to do with you? What that has to do with you is that the Holy Spirit of God can enter into your life. And give you the desire and the power to overcome the sin that may have taken control of your life. And if you want to become a Christ follower, you can do that right now. Just pray while everybody's head's bowed. Just pray and ask God. Tell God, God, forgive me for living my life away from you. And Lord Jesus, come into my life and be my boss. It's that simple. That's the way you start. Ask Jesus Christ to come into your life and be your Lord. Do it right now. Now, while you're praying and asking Jesus Christ to come into your life and be your Lord, if you're doing that right now, before you leave, I'm going to ask you to do two things. Before you leave, I'm going to ask you to take the Connect card that you, that you were given uh, on the program when you came in today and just fill it out and check the place that says, I've committed my life to Christ this week. And then when you leave, give it to somebody in one of the blue shirts uh, or uh, even better that, out at, the, out at the blue tent out front and tell them you just became a Christ follower. Now, if you just prayed and asked Jesus Christ to come into your life and be your Lord, I ask you to do one other thing. While everybody's head's bowed, just raise your hand high to tell God, God, I'm serious. I want Jesus Christ, your son, to be my Lord. Right now, raise your hand. Thank you. Now, we have a tradition around Lake Hills Church, and that is when you put your hand down, we put ours together. 